Hey everyone, welcome to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Ned about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for another way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about water and water filtration systems. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen into our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice. So don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steven Nett as a patient at his office. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Ron. So we're going to talk about water and water filtration systems this week. It's an important topic that people need to know about. And so let's start off with one of the things that we need to know, which is what are the main reasons we need to drink an adequate amount of water each day? So there are several, and I use the Mayo Clinic website as the reference for this. Okay. So first of all, your body is about two-thirds water, and every cell, tissue, and organ in your body needs water to work properly. And we need an ongoing adequate supply of it for this to occur. By the way, the brain is 150th of the total body weight but it's actually 85% water and it receives 18 to 20% of the body's blood circulation. Interesting. Yeah, so it actually receives absolute top priority over all the other body systems. Okay. So specifically as far as the main reasons we drink water is water gets rid of waste through urination, perspiration, and bowel movements. Mm-hmm. Keeps your temperature normal. Mm-hmm. Lubricates and cushions your joints. Mm-hmm. And it protects sensitive tissues of the body. Hmm. Those are all very good reasons. Mm -hmm. And that is really interesting about the brain. So if you run into somebody who you want to say is just a complete idiot, you don't have to say that anymore. You can just say, ah, he's obviously dehydrated. (laughs) Now, what can happen to the body if it doesn't get enough water for a long period of time, like a, a week or several weeks or a month? What would happen? All right. Well, I thought it would be good to know how long you can go without air, water, and food. So let's cover this first. Okay. Every person and situation is different, but there's a rule of threes when it comes to how long you can go before serious or fatal situations can occur. Okay. So it's three minutes without air, three days without water, and three weeks without food. Mm. Yeah. So holding your breath for up to three minutes is a good rule, but you know, any time longer than that can result in brain damage. Now, you might be thinking, well, how can people like trained divers hold their breath underwater for long periods of time? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, they have to be trained for this. And in the last Mission Impossible movie called Rogue Nation, Tom Cruise trained for weeks to be able to hold his breath for the intense underwater scene lasting six to six and a half minutes. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And the other neat fact is that We can hold our breath longer underwater than in air because of a mysterious function known as the mammalian diving response. And what this does is it allows us to more easily suppress the reflex that forces us to breathe and to drown. 
Mm, okay. Yeah. By the way, the world record for the longest time someone held their breath underwater without moving was 11 minutes and 35 seconds. Wow. Yeah. And also, someone breathed in pure oxygen first and was able to hold his breath nearly double that time at 22 minutes and 22 seconds. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I'll be the one breaking that record. No, no. So as far as food, three weeks without food is the general rule. And believe it or not, Gandhi's longest hunger strike lasted exactly three weeks, 21 days. Oh, wow. Yeah. The world record, though, is 74 days by an Irish political prisoner who, as you would have guessed, died on day 74. Wow. Yeah. So three days is the general rule for doing without water. But the actual time a human can go without water varies wildly, mainly because our bodies must maintain water balance and our fluid stores must be replenished as we sweat, urinate, and exhale. Mm -hmm. So speaking of sweating, we went over this in detail in podcast 22 on heat exhaustion and heat stroke. Right. And so under extreme conditions like strenuous exercise this time of year in the hot sun, we can sweat out upwards of one and a half quarts of water in an hour. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. So if you fail to replenish this and your blood volume drops, then sweating stops and we become even hotter and more dehydrated, leading to death in just hours. Mm, okay. So in a comfortable environment, an adult can last without water for a week or more. Mm-hmm. Now, getting back to the original question about what happens to the body when you don't get enough water for an extended period of time, well, this basically leads to chronic dehydration, which simply means your body doesn't have as much water as it needs for a long period of time. Right. And this can cause major problems in the body, including shrinking of the body's cells, your brain telling your body to urinate less, your kidneys and other body organs start to fail, your body temperature then won't stay regulated, and your electrolytes will be unbalanced. Uh, your joints may not work properly, and then your brain actually can swell, and then your blood pressure either can increase or decrease. Wow, that's quite a range of different things that can happen from that. Yes. All right. Well, what kind of conditions are related to inadequate water intake? The things that you just went over were more related to an immediate situation where you're not getting enough water for a long period of time. But we're looking at more of things where the person just isn't getting enough water over maybe months or years. So what kind of things does that cause? Okay. Well, there's quite a few. So I'm going to go through the most common and obvious ones. Okay. So one of them would be fatigue because you'll be tired since your body will produce less energy when you're dehydrated. You'll tend to age prematurely. Dehydration causes your body to age quicker since water is needed to keep your cells younger and that obviously helps prevent wrinkles, and it also keeps aging chemicals called free radicals in check. Mm -hmm, Because it flushes it out of the system. Mm -hmm. Uh, You'll tend to put on weight or even be obese. So an interesting fact is that the sensations of thirst and hunger are generated simultaneously and are often difficult to distinguish. So oftentimes what happens is when both are occurring, we assume that it's just the urge to eat. So we eat food even when the body should be receiving water. And so to overcome this and separate the sensations, you simply drink water before you eat. And what this does is it prevents you from overeating to satisfy an urge for the intake of water. And he's drinking water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was feeling a little hungry there, but I thought I would put that to use right away. Okay. So another reason a person can gain weight from not drinking enough water is that water is needed to get rid of toxins from the body. 
And if you don't have enough water to do so, then you'll tend to store them in your fatty tissues to protect your vital organs from being exposed to them. Mm, okay. Yeah. You might end up with either high or low blood pressure. Not enough water allows things like cholesterol and other chemicals to build up in your arteries and veins, raising your blood pressure. Mm -hmm. But not enough water can also lower your blood pressure since there's less blood volume putting pressure against the arterial walls. Okay. Another thing that can occur is high cholesterol. And so we just went over the fact that inadequate water intake can lead to cholesterol building up in your arteries. You see, cholesterol is also a primary component of your cell membranes, which regulates how much water enters and leaves your cells. So excess cholesterol production in the cell membranes means that you're actually dehydrated. Interesting. Yeah. Now, wouldn't that be something that should be considered if somebody gets a blood test and they're told they have high cholesterol levels? Could it be that they're possibly dehydrated and that's causing it? That would be one of the things at least ask if they've been drinking enough water. Okay. Yeah. Another obvious one is constipation. If you suffer from chronic dehydration, your body doesn't have enough water to remove solid waste, causing you to suffer from constipation. Okay. Now, here's an interesting one, gastritis, which is stomach pain due to inflammation, and it's actually a thirst signal signifying dehydration. So the first thing you should do when you experience this is to increase your water intake. Hmm. Yeah. Most people probably would never think to do that. Yeah. And by the way, the mucus that protects the lining of the stomach from the extremely acidic hydrochloric acid is actually 98% water. So when you're dehydrated, you likely won't have enough stomach mucus to protect the stomach lining. And this makes you more susceptible to ulcers too. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So there's also respiratory system conditions. The mucous membranes of the lungs, nose, and sinuses need to remain moist in order to protect you against pollutants and other particles that can irritate them. Mm -hmm. And without enough water, you're also more susceptible to respiratory allergies as well as asthma. Okay. Yeah. So I learned the real reason for this when I first read the groundbreaking book called Your Body's Many Cries for Waters by Dr. Batman Jellage. I'm just going to call him Dr. Batman from now on because it's too hard to pronounce. Isn't it an Indian or Malaysian name? Something like that. It's very long and difficult to pronounce. Yeah. So, okay. So let's just keep it at Dr. Batman. It sounds cooler anyway. Mm -hmm. So in that book, he explained that when you're dehydrated, your body overproduces histamine, mm -hmm. which happens to be the sensor regulator of water metabolism and its distribution in the body. Mm-hmm. And as you know, histamine is a chemical your immune system produces that is associated with all the awful symptoms of allergies, as well as the hallmark of asthma, which is constriction of the lung bronchioles. Wow. Yeah. By the way, Dr. Batman also covered the fact that salt also happens to be an excellent natural antihistamine. So people with allergies and asthma should increase their salt intake as well as their water intake. I'm assuming you mean like on the food or as supplements and not necessarily up their nose. No, he actually recommended a neat little trick to fool the brain into thinking that a lot of salt has arrived in the body and that you just simply put a pinch of salt on the tongue after drinking water and this will cause the brain to relax the bronchioles. Oh, good. Yeah. So another thing that can occur with not enough water intake is dry skin and eczema and that's because your skin needs enough water to stay moist as well as remove toxins. So if it's dehydrated, it'll become dry and skin irritations like eczema from unreleased toxins can Okay. Hold on a second. <laughs> Somebody just rang the doorbell. And we have Kim's dog over. And so both of them are going completely wild. 
All right. Very good. All right. Another thing to be concerned of with lack of water is urinary tract infections. So you're more susceptible to developing kidney infections like E. coli or bladder infections like cystitis. And it's actually easy to tell by looking at your urine that you haven't been drinking enough water because it'll look darker yellow instead of clear or straw colored. Right. And another thing is arthritis, especially rheumatoid arthritis. And that's associated with water deficiency, causing the joint cartilage to wear out and become deformed. Now, cartilage does not get a direct blood supply, so it must absorb water like a sponge from its surroundings. It suffers probably more than any other part of the body when you're dehydrated. When cartilage is dehydrated, it'll suffer more from friction, kind of like a crumbling dry sponge as opposed to a wet sponge. Hmm. Yeah. And then finally, headaches. I've also seen patients that have gotten headaches simply because they didn't drink enough water, especially being out in the sun for an extended period of time. So they normally improve rapidly with increased water intake along with electrolytes when I recommend them. Yes, I remember on the episode we did on headaches, you had mentioned that dehydration was one of the things that led to headaches. That's right. Very good. Well, then what is the correct amount of water a person should drink every day and how should they consume it? The rule of thumb that I have found is you measure your weight in pounds, divide it in half, and that should be the approximate amount of water you drink daily in ounces. So if you weigh 120 pounds, then you should drink about 60 ounces, which is about a half a gallon of water. Okay. And if you weigh 200 pounds, then you should drink around 100 ounces, which is a little less than a gallon. Okay. As far as when to drink, I'll start out by saying that you definitely should not drink all of it at once, mm -hmm. but instead space it out during the day. Mm-hmm. And I'm, again, going to use the Your Body's Many Cries for Water as a reference for this. So Dr. Batman recommends that the best times and amounts to drink of water are one glass a half an hour before each meal. Mm -hmm. Remember, again, that drinking before eating also satisfies the sensation of thirst and prevents overeating. Right. It's good strategic. One glass two and a half hours after each meal. Mm -hmm. That makes six there. Okay. And then two more glasses of water around the heaviest meal or before going to bed. Now, if you're the type of person that's concerned about getting up in the middle of the night and going to the bathroom, I would not recommend drinking that before going to bed. Right. So this is eight glasses of water, which is obviously ideal for those people weighing around 120 to 130 pounds. So it should be adjusted again according to a person's weight. Right. Now, this is wild. The National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine determined that an adequate daily fluid intake is about 15 and a half cups, which is about a gallon of fluids for men, and about 11 and a half cups, which is about three quarts of fluids a day for women. So they're actually way overshooting Dr. Batman's recommendations. Wow. Yeah. Now, there's other factors that require you to drink more than normal daily water requirements. First of all, any exercise that makes you sweat, you should drink water before, during, and after a workout. Mm -hmm. And then if it's hot and humid weather, like this time of year that causes you to sweat more, it's important to drink more water to avoid dehydration this time of year. Correct. And there's also medical conditions that require more water intake, including having a fever, vomiting, diarrhea, bladder infections, and urinary tract stones. Okay. Yeah. Those all make sense that I can understand why you'd want to drink more water for each of those. Yeah. And also women who are pregnant or breastfeeding need additional fluids to stay hydrated. Yeah. 
Now, there's one more critical aspect of drinking water, especially when you sweat profusely, as well as when you drink purified water that contains no minerals, such as distilled water or reverse osmosis water. Mm -hmm. And that is you absolutely must add in electrolytes to replenish the minerals needed to compensate for those lost or those that you're not getting. So my favorite supplement is the supplement powder called Ultima, which I have for sale at my office. Mm -hmm. For more information on this, as well as dehydration prevention, you can listen to our previous podcast, episode number 22, on avoiding heat exhaustion and heat stroke. Very good. And they should listen to it now anyway, because it's starting to get very hot. I don't know what it's like out there, but I think tomorrow we're supposed to be 110. And then on Saturday, we're supposed to be 103. So it's getting warm. So out there, I would think you're probably getting up into the 90s at this point. Pretty close. All right, good. So can you get enough water from other beverages like coffee or tea or juice or soda pop or things like that? So coffee, tea, caffeine-containing soda pop, and alcohol do not count as water since they act as diuretics. So essentially, they do the opposite. They cause you to eliminate water instead of storing water. Mm -hmm. So for every cup of caffeine-containing drinks or alcohol, you need to drink a cup of water just to break even. Okay. Yeah. By the way, alcohol and caffeine also contribute to severe asthma attacks. So people with asthma definitely need to follow the rule of drinking water along with drinking those beverages or just avoid them altogether. Wow. Yeah. All right. So that is probably a misunderstanding that a lot of people have is like, well, yeah, I drink so many ounces a day, but in essence, they're really not getting the amount of water they need. Right. Okay. Yeah. And as far as caffeine-free soft drinks. Mm Mm-hmm. Or juices or decaffeinated coffee? Mm-hmm. thought I'd go over that. So soft drinks and most juices are loaded with sugar, and whether they're added or naturally occurring. So despite the fact that they're giving you a source of water, they're still not health-building and not recommended. Okay. Now, this is great information on decaf coffee. It's not truly 100% caffeine-free. Right. In fact, decaf coffee only needs to be 97% caffeine-free. Plus, certain decaf brands have more caffeine than others, and the traditional method uses toxic chemical solvents like methylene chloride or ethyl acetate. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. For example, a grande coffee from Starbucks has 310 milligrams of caffeine, whereas the decaf version has 25 milligrams of caffeine. It's quite a bit less. Yeah. If you want the best quality decaf as well as the least amount of caffeine, then choose brands that use the Swiss water process. This process removes 99.9% of the caffeine from the beans since the beans are soaked in hot water before running them through a carbon filter. Hmm. It's more expensive, but it's more ecologically friendly because you're not using chemicals. Right. But the only drawback is the taste, which is altered because the beans sit in the water so long, they end up with a metal and carbon taste. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So there's another alternative decaf approach that also doesn't use chemicals and actually tastes better than the Swiss water process. What's that? That's using liquid carbon dioxide along with activated carbon or charcoal filtering, which was originally developed in Germany, but is now more mainstream and can be found easily online. Oh, great. Yeah. So the best alternatives to plain filtered water are fresh squeezed organic lemon and lime juice, organic unsweetened coconut juice, 
as well as organic vegetable juices that are either blended whole or juiced. Okay. Another interesting fact is that 20% of our daily fluid intake actually comes from foods and the rest comes from drinks. Ah. Yeah. So foods like fruits and vegetables are loaded with water in them too. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. That's very good. So then what is really the bare minimum a person should get in a day? I mean, you went over what would be ideal for them to get, but what is it they really need and they, they should never go below? All right. So according to Dr. Batman, again, he states in his book that your body needs an absolute minimum of six to eight, eight ounce glasses of water a day. So the absolute minimum would be six glasses with one before each meal and one two and a half hours after each meal. Okay. Now I saw a reference from a medical doctor that if you were on a water rationing survival mode, then you could potentially survive on 32 ounces of water a day. I would not recommend that, especially if you had to exercise at all, as well as be out in the heat. But this would be like, let's say you're out camping and you're like really limited for water and you're in an area where you're just stuck and lost and that type of thing. That's how you would survive through that. Okay. Yeah. So sounds like most people aren't even coming close to getting the bare minimum on a daily basis. Yeah. And especially those that drink a lot of caffeine and caffeine drinks, coffee and so forth. Exactly. So now we've got information about why you need water, how much water you need. So now we're going to get into where you get it and what types of water. Why isn't tap water good enough to drink? Why can't people just get their six or eight glasses of water from their kitchen sink? Well, tap water contains lots of unhealthy and toxic chemicals, making it unrecommended for human consumption. And some cities are worse than others, but in general, I would recommend avoiding drinking tap water unless it's properly filtered at your home. The Environmental Working Group has an excellent reference on their website at ewg.org called EWG's National Tap Water Database, which answers the question, how safe is your drinking water? So we'll include a link for this in our podcast notes. Excellent. Yeah. Some of the chemicals found in tap water include fluoride, chloramines, chlorine, heavy metals, and industrial chemicals. And it's also estimated that drinking water for more than 170 million Americans contains radioactive elements at levels that may increase the risk of cancer, according to an environmental working group analysis of 2010 to 2015 test results from public water systems nationwide. So these radioactive elements include radium, radon, and uranium. Wow. And that's 170 million. That's, that's half of all Americans. Right. Yeah. So other items found in tap water that aren't exactly healthy are microorganisms like bacteria and parasites. Pharmaceutical drugs get into our water, and they include antibiotics, hormones, and antidepressants. And herbicides and pesticides also tend to get into the water too. So that's why it's not good to drink tap water. That's right. Several reasons. So if people aren't going to drink tap water... What about using just some of those basic water filters that you see advertised on television all the time? Are those good enough? Well, these basic water filters are much better than drinking unfiltered tap water, and they come in pitchers, dispensers, bottles, and faucets. The two most popular companies are Brita and Pure, and they have BPA-free products that contain disposable filters that do a fairly decent job of reducing unpleasant and unhealthy items in tap water. Their products contain two basic technologies to remove impurities. 
One is carbon filters that contain activated charcoal that are used to remove over 90% of chlorine-based compounds as well as some pesticides and industrial solvents. And they also use what's called ion exchange to soften the water, removing limestone, and to make it taste better. However, what they are really doing is replacing good minerals like calcium and magnesium with sodium. Hmm. That's why it's called ion exchange, because you're exchanging calcium and magnesium ions for sodium ions. That makes sense. Yeah. Now, Pure claims that their faucet filters can reduce over 70 contaminants, including heavy metals like lead and mercury, pharmaceutical drugs, and the parasites Cryptosporidium and Giardia, which are resistant to chemical treatment processes. Okay. And Brita claims that some of their pitcher and dispenser filters, as well as their faucet filters, can reduce a number of heavy metals and industrial chemicals too. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question about, you know, is this satisfactory? Well, although they do a decent job of removing harmful chemicals and make tap water smell and taste better, basic water filters still come up a little short in removing all of the chemicals and microorganisms, as well as preserving the pH and the good minerals that you want to consume. Okay. Good. So then if those aren't quite up to par, it's still better than just drinking tap water, I would think. Absolutely. So then if they're not the best type around, what are the best kinds of water filtration systems? The best answer to this is to go to to the Environmental Working Group website and on the tap water database page that we'll have a link to again in our podcast notes you want to click on the link for EWG's water filter guide. And so I thought I would actually go through this so that I can guide people when they do go on the website on how to surf through it. Okay. So I'm actually on the page now and it says EWG's updated water filter buying guide. And it uh, defaults to, uh, it says least expensive. Okay. So under least expensive, it has, it says carbon filters. So you click on that, it says, see all carbon filters. And what you can do is you can put in here, it says all filter types. So you can put in the type of filter type that you want. So it can be a pitcher, a faucet, plumbed in, a sports bottle, even a shower filter. Underneath it, it says low cost carbon filters, but you can also put in, let's say you want reverse osmosis or you want a carbon block or ion exchange or ceramic. And then... It even gives you the choice of what type of contaminant you want. I, I would just leave it as an, any contaminant. So once you make your choices, you hit go, and it'll give you a whole list of various products that even gives you the price as well as if it's available on Amazon. Okay. It's very, very well done. Okay, good. So yeah. if somebody wants to, they can go to the site and play this back. And it'll help them get through and see what things they should consider or things that they shouldn't consider. That's right. So the finest system that I've come across is the one I just had installed a couple months ago in my home. And you could find it at idealearthwater.com. We'll leave a link for that too. The technology for this is from a local scientist here in Clearwater, Winston Cow, who has really done his homework and has created water filtration systems that basically eliminate all of the nasty chemicals, radiation, and microorganisms found in city water, while at the same time preserving the healthy minerals, including calcium and magnesium. Mm-hmm. So I got the under-the-sink dual tank system, which removes fluoride, chloramines, chlorine, heavy metals, 
and what are called VOCs or volatile organic compounds, which are industrial chemicals. Correct. And the chlorine byproducts. And what makes this system truly unique is that it removes fluoride to non-detectable levels, whereas other filtration systems just simply reduce fluoride levels. Okay. Yeah. And I also got a filtration system for my sprinkler system and for the whole house. It's really cool because it has a digital display on it outside with a timer that back flushes it once a week. And since I put in an organic garden along with organic fruit trees and bushes, I needed to improve the lawn water from city water to filtered water. And this system is excellent for that. Wow. Yeah. Each of these systems cost under $1,900. Mm-hmm. And if you want a complete whole house system, it'll run a bit more. And you'll find it again on the idealearthwater.com website. Excellent. So people should definitely check into that and find out what they feel would be best for them because there is no one perfect thing for anybody. And we'll have a lot of links in the podcast notes that you'll be sending me mm-hmm. so that we can give people the places to go to. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else you'd like to say about this before we end? Yes. Okay. So I spoke about salt a few times on this podcast, and I want to just go over the best and worst sources of salt and why that is. Okay. So the best source that I've researched and used is Himalayan salt, also known as pink salt or pink gold. It's unprocessed from a pristine source that is away from pollution in Pakistan in salt mines 5,000 feet below the foothills of the Himalayan mountains. And it contains over 84 minerals and trace elements. Wow. Yeah. Its health benefits include improving respiratory problems, balancing the body's pH. It's a natural digestive aid and a natural sleep aid. And by the way, this is actually classified as a sea salt since it dates back to Earth's creation, composed of dry remnants from the original primal sea. And then next on the list is various sea salts available, which typically contain 60 trace minerals as compared to Himalayan salt, which contains 84 or more. The two best sources I have found are Celtic sea salt, Mm -hmm. which is gray and naturally harvested in Brittany, France, near the Celtic Sea, using a 2,000-year-old Celtic method. And then Redmond real salt, which comes from an ancient seabed discovered in uh, central Utah. Now, if you can't find either of these, make sure the sea salt you do choose is sun-dried and has no chemicals or preservatives added to it by reading the label. And it says that on the labels? It tends to, yeah. Okay. And last and definitely least, the bottom of the list is commercial table salt. Mm -hmm. And there are so many reasons to avoid this stuff. Well, the only thing I know about those is that they do add iodine. And that's something that a lot of people are lacking and that they need to get more of. That's true, but I'm going to go over why that may not be okay. Okay, good. So table salt is mainly mined from underground salt deposits and is heavily processed to eliminate healthy minerals. Table salt is manufactured by taking natural salt and heating it to 1200 degrees Fahrenheit, which completely alters the chemical composition and basically destroys all of its nutritional benefits. Mm -hmm. The generic table salt ends up being about 97.5% sodium chloride and a 2.5% 2.5% balance containing an array of ing- ingredients, including anti-caking chemicals, Oh, <laughs> added iodine, like you just talked about, to prevent goiters. Mm-hmm. You're going to love this one. 
MSG and or white processed sugar to help stabilize the iodine. Wow. I know. And aluminum derivatives such as sodium silico aluminate. Hmm. All told, there are 18 food additives that are allowed to be put into table salt. So some of the problems with this processed fake salt is that it puts people at risk of developing cardiovascular events and chronic disease because of elevated blood pressure and arterial sclerosis. Mm -hmm. As you know, most doctors recommend people not to use salt when their blood pressure is up. Mm -hmm. And unlike real salt, table salt causes your body to retain fluid. So people who use these products develop diabetes, gout, and obesity more than people who don't use them. And since most table salt contains added iodine, classifying it as iodized and puts people at risk for over-iodization, this has actually been shown to abnormally enlarge the thyroid gland and cause thyroid problems such as thyroid-related autoimmune disorders. Wow. Yeah. So even this... though it contains iodine, you got to watch it if you have any issues with your thyroid. So in other words, stay away from commercial brand table salt. Absolutely. Okay. Very good points to make. So thank you. This was a very interesting episode. It's going to be helpful for people in a lot of ways making sure that they not only get enough water, but they get enough of the proper kind of salt and what type of water that they should avoid or that they should get. And that drinking fluids doesn't mean that you're getting enough water. A lot of great information. So thanks for that, Steve. Yeah, I had fun researching this. I, I learned a ton myself. Excellent. And next week, we're going to be diving down below and talking about feet and the effects that that can have on other areas of the body and also the things that are put in your shoes to balance things out with your feet. So next week we'll be getting into, well, I don't know if I want to say we're going to be getting into feet because that's going to sound weird. We're going to be talking about feet. Okay. All right. Thanks, Steve. You got it. Thanks for joining us this week on the body chat podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week, and if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week. Music